What I believe is something that we are creating a little bit at Airco is the sales for dism how, how you separate function yes. into the sales functions. So moving from having full cycle sales, one guy that does the whole cycle, he hunts, he closes, he then takes care of it. To one guy finds the leads, one guy hunts the lead, one guy closes the leads, one guy onboards the lead, one guy takes care of the uh, nurturing of the lead. So, you know, and, and there is really something going on. And I think you can split companies like that, every function. When you start your company, you have generalists. When you grow, you specialize people. So people become the best in what they do. Welcome to 14 Minutes of SaaS, the show where you can listen to the stories and opinions of founders of the world's most remarkable SaaS scale-ups. Episode 74, part three of a four-part mini-series with Jonathan Angelov, co-founder and CEO of Ericol. Jonathan doesn't see VC rounds as a reason to celebrate, but he does see VC as a no-brainer if the ambition is both huge and urgent, and his vision is to build the future of telephony in less than 10 years. You got a, a 29 million funding round from Draper Esprit, which is a, you know, a fantastic uh, uh, win for yourselves, and I know Brian Caulfield uh, is a really good guy. Um, how much of a difference does that make to you as a company? And, and uh, can you share uh, some of the things you intend to do, some of the big changes that will occur or are occurring as a result of that? Sure. Um, I mean, all in all, you know, we, we raised a bit more than 40 million. 40, yeah. um, the first raise is like very exciting and you're like, wow, the people are just giving me money. Uh, and then as it goes, you know, you just realize it's okay, more responsibilities and, and actually, it doesn't change anything. You, you get the money, but you just get the money to, to do what you promised to do. Um, so actually, it's more execution. Um, an idea doesn't is value shit. It doesn't, <laughs> you know, it's nothing. What matters is the execution of that idea, which is where most people fail. I've seen hundreds of ideas failing just because uh, execution was bad. So what? What it changed somehow is that you have people trusting you, you have good board, board members that help you with the vision, help you with the execution. And, you know, we are in this big market where, you know, Cisco is making a few billions per year of revenues. Um, and where, you know, we need to catch up. So we need cash. We yeah. need cash for that. And, and the only reason we, we raise is to go faster, to hire, and not just build uh, the, um, the future of telephony in 20 years, 30 years, what you would need if you don't raise cash, but do it in, in less than 10 years uh, okay. and make a multi-billion dollar company. Yes. Um, so what changes that, okay, you have people trusting you, you have a go-to-market strategy that is clear, and, and you know where you're heading with that money. Absolutely. Um, I sometimes ask people uh, what they're not good at, but I'm, I, I'm not going to ask you that because you're you're well, very, I'm, I'm you're not very, good at you're very a lot of things. Well, I was about to say you're going to give me 20 things because I can sense that straight away. So I'm going to twist it around and ask you something you're less comfortable with. Uh, but it's never a fluke when somebody has the level of success you've got. Yes, excellent co-founders and, 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 and early employees. It's, it's a team, it's a team, uh, team achievement. But what are the one or two qualities 
uh, that you have personally that you feel, feel made a difference for you that has you, you know, succeeding in the way you're succeeding now? I mean, you talked already about the fear and stuff, but what, would, what, what kind of skill, natural skills get sets do you think you've got? I love people. I love okay. people. I love talking with people. I love listening to people. And I think I'm there today, not because of one person I listen, because of the hundreds of people I, I, I listened and I inspired myself of. And today, with each of my employees, you know, I, I'm open. I don't have an office. I'll never have an office. I'm in the middle of the sales team, actually, with all the partnership team, marketing, everyone. I'm in the middle of them. And I love that. I'll never have my own office. That I think that's boring. <laughs> and so, yeah, if you said a quality is that I love being with people, listening to people. And, you know, sometimes I, I take uh, people that have three managers in between me and them and, hey, let's spend 10 minutes and discuss. Tell me what you do and so on. And uh, I, I, I think it's something usually people say it's good about me is that I'm talkative and easygoing. Yeah, no, well, you definitely are. And it came across before we, when we chatted before we even, I actually had to stop us because I went, no, let's get this on the thing because you're into it already, <laughs> you know. Uh, you're definitely very chatty. Um, uh, any recommended reading? It is very sales. I mean, I, I have a real sales. I'm sales-minded, <laughs> as I told you. Business, I love business. Yep. So sales is business. Yep. Uh, and, and one of the first book I, I read uh, when, uh, when I started Airco, uh, because I thought I knew sales, but I didn't know sales at the end, uh, especially sales in the B2B, SaaS, and so on. And I really liked a Predictable Revenue from Aaron Ross, ah. um, which is really a Bible for sales. It's a Bible. It's how you should do sales in a company at scale when you're doing B2B. Um, and, and very often uh, people ask me, hey, can you tell me how you do at Airco, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I'm like, I'm like kind of saying half, 80% uh, of what I read in Predictable Revenue. Yeah. So they create the Bible and then I use it and mix it with our, my ideas uh, to create the perfect sales team. I don't know if it's perfect today, it works somehow. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it's a good book to read uh, if you are in that business. No matter who you are, if you are uh, a founder, if you are a VP sales, if you are a head of customer success, whatever, it's a good thing to see how you, know, you, you split functions to make them more efficient. And um, actually, I'm, I'm actually writing my uh, um, currently uh, uh, medium blog post, whatever how you call it, about like, uh, what I believe is something that we are creating a little bit at Airco is the sales Fordism. So you know what is the Fordism yeah, from as Ford? As in Henry Ford? Exactly. Yeah. So the sales Fordism. Wow. So how, how you separate function yes. into the sales functions to make them super Better. efficient. Yeah. So moving from having full cycle sales, one guy that does the whole cycle, he hunts, he closes, he then takes care of it, to one guy finds the lead, one guy hunts the lead, one guy closes the lead, one guy onboards the lead, one guy takes care of the uh, nurturing of the lead. So, you know, and, and there is really something going on. And I think you can split companies like that, every function, to make every single person a specialist in what he's doing. Yeah, well, certainly I would have seen that in Salesforce as an early employee. They actually discovered that um, having CSMs there going in being the customer advocate and then having the sales guys going out looking for the best deal they can get that little bit of tension 
uh, even though it actually caused real tension, sometimes it does function better because the the problem with the CSMs was most of them didn't have that ability to to really look for the best deal. They were mm. scared to do that. They weren't wired that way. And then with the then with the account managers and sales guys, they weren't really wired to put the you know to to really just be worrying about everything working and everything. So by having the two, because you've got to have success, customer success, you've got to have renewals, uh, or you don't have a business in SaaS. So that's that they evolved uh, in that way. So if we just take that, I suppose, as an example, and of course, in Salesforce, leads were very separate. Uh, BizDev was very separate to account management, the different levels of, of account management. But um, I suppose what you're doing is taking that to another level and maybe dissecting it up uh, even further and perhaps the dissection changes, well, it, for sure, mm. depending on what you're selling and depending on who, what your market is. And so is, the, is what you're looking at, is it something that, is it like a set of decision-making that you would make and tests you would do at, at a certain point in time to find out what's the Fordism formula for your particular sales pipeline? Is it, that what it is? It, it, is it a way yeah. of asking those questions and answering? It, it, it is, it is. Um, what I feel, is that it's important when you, well, no matter what's your business, uh, it is really important that you have specialists. Uh, when you start your company, you have generalist, generalist people. When you grow, you specialize people. So people become the best in what they do. And the good thing with separating people is first, you get the best out of each individual. And the second thing is that you create a kind of a career path. So the guy maybe is the best currently in that role, and maybe then he wants to move to another role, or he wants to move inside that role up, which is good. The problem is when you have like very generalist uh, function, is that the career path is complicated. It's a complicated thing. So it's anyway extremely good um, to, 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 to separate functions to make them more efficient. The risk, of course, and there is a risk, is that there is, it's too much separated, and you lose the customer, you lose information, you lose things. And you lose interest, perhaps, because it's not challenging enough. Yeah. Of course, and, yeah. and that's a, a big challenge. And would you be interested in looking at things like RPA, robotic process automation, and kind of integrating it in with the humans in that? So you separate it into <laughs> six or seven sections, and maybe you know that bit can be learned by, by a machine, and you know that bit can, and you insert the humans in the first and second part, fourth and fifth part and seventh part. Are you looking at that? One day, probably. I mean. It's something I would love, but today the problem is that, you know, at scale, when you're scaling fast, yeah. you know, we have 10 new employees every week currently. <laughs> uh, and doing these kind of things, you need some people to organize it and so on. Yeah. And it's not like a huge priority, but it should be uh, not smart <laughs> enough. That's, again, I, I go back to this thing. <laughs> That's you, why I didn't ask you what your faults were, because you're... you're no, but we, we, you need so much, uh, like, thing, uh, people to take care of those kind of things. Uh, and I think the focus currently is more around execution. Um, and of course, uh, if we can do things automatically by robots, as you say, like uh, thanks to different uh, algorithm or whatever, we'll do them. Uh, it's just always a time as, a, as an entrepreneur or as a VP of whatever. One important thing is the focus. Yeah. Focus is what makes people companies and people uh, successful. And I think currently the focus is hiring, building the, a, a great product, executing uh, our vision, and selling. Absolutely. So I try to not do everything at the same time because otherwise we might hit the, hit the uh, wall at some point. 
So I guess North America and Europe are your, are your main markets, and you mentioned Australia, the English-speaking world. Uh, do you do business with Asia as well at the moment? Not so much, okay. a little bit. Um, more than 30% of our revenues are coming from the US. Uh, the rest is split uh, between uh, UK, France, Germany, Europe in general, basically Spain and uh, Australia. So, so the large tier one countries in Europe you're, you're more focused on? The, the largest uh, yeah. country in Europe is UK and France. Oh, they're almost okay. uh, same, okay. about 10% of our revenue each. Um, and the US is from far the biggest uh, part of our revenue, while we're not uh, Americans, but that's why I, I'm, I'm quite, quite happy. Uh, if I can brag about something, is that. <laughs> but yeah, there is still a lot to do because American uh, investors say 30%, that's all, uh, that's shit. <laughs> so <laughs> you're like, okay, all right. While uh, European VC, they tell you, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> I, I love the VC di world. Di different tensions, right? Different exactly. Tensions. Uh, but Asia is, is not our focus. You see what I mean? I mean, uh, regulation is a bit more complicated for phone numbers, telco, etc. So currently is not a focus. Probably it will be one day. Yeah, yeah, and you, you need partnerships and joint ventures and all sorts of things yes. going in there. Now, let's imagine a world in a few years' time. You go, wow, you know what? I built this beautiful hotel over there. I think I just want to go there and lie back and read some books for about three months. I'm going to sell the business. Let's just imagine you did that, and then you got bored, which you would do, and you came back again. And, but you were, let's say you were worth, I don't know, 50, 60 million. Would you choose if you go back in the next time to invest your own money or would you go the VC route again? Depends how much I exit, of course. Uh, no, the truth is that VC is quite convenient when you don't have so much money. When I started, you know, I didn't have so much money, so it was kind of helpful. Uh, but you know... What are the negatives? The, the negative is that you're stressed. I mean, you know, the hotel, for instance, you take the example of the hotel, I invested all my money in that, all the money I earned. Uh, of course, I leveraged it with the bank. Um, and so, yeah, it's stressful, uh, but the good news is that you buy real estate. So somehow it's not so much risk. I mean, you know, uh, real estate stays, so it's different. But I would say I'll, I'll start, I'll bootstrap as much as possible. Um, and, and raise if needed. You know, raising money, and I think it's really important that people understand that, is that raising money is not a win. It just, the, you know, it's, you raise because you're actually not smart enough, again, uh, because you need cash, etc., etc. And it's very important uh, who you raise the money with, right? Extremely important who is on the board, etc., etc. And yeah, I don't see raising, like, that's why a lot of people, yeah, when they raise, they're like, yeah, well done, you raise. No, when someone raises, I'm like, dude, good luck now. Good luck, because now it's the real thing happens. Um, and if I could have not raised, I would have, <clears throat> but as we are in this very competitive business, very complicated, we need to invest. Move fast. And organic growth wouldn't uh, be enough to 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 build a, a multi-billion-dollar company nowadays. So it's it's hard, especially uh, what we do at Airco. So I would invest until I can. Uh, as always, it depends of how much I do an exit uh, of. But uh, I understand today being an entrepreneur is not just being rich. Um, it's having an idea and being good at executing at it. So if you need to raise, you raise. If you don't need to. Don't do it because you see everyone doing it. In our next and final episode from this mini-series, our guest Jonathan Angulov, an arch-pragmatist 
gives amazing advice to anyone thinking of becoming an entrepreneur. You've been listening to 14 Minutes of SaaS. Thanks to Mike Quill for his creativity and problem-solving skills and to Katsu for the music. This episode was brought to you by me, Stephen Cummins. If you enjoyed the podcast, please don't forget to share it with your network, subscribe to the series, and give the show a rating.